All right, everybody, welcome to my first episode of the podcast, PK's Place. I'm your host, Peyton PK Hughes. We'll get more into that nickname as the episode goes on. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, a good friend of mine, pro hockey player and at current activist on social media, Igor Larion of the second. Igor, how are, how are you doing today? PK, brother, it's a pleasure to, to be your first guest. Um, I've been saying for a while, you know, you're the type of guy you're really good at holding a conversation up. So, you know, this is perfect for you. You're going to you're going to do great things, but I'm doing well. Had a good upper body workout today. Arms are absolute noodles right now after after all of that. But no, I'm just glad to be, you know, glad to be talking to one of my good buddies over over a podcast and over Zoom. So I'm excited. Yeah, of course. I first, I appreciate those kind words. And second, this is actually the second time I've interviewed you. If you remember the first time and for everyone listening at home, first time I interviewed Igor was actually on the red carpet of his 22nd birthday. So I think the listeners would like to know how different but fun your 22nd birthday party was because it was a blast. Yeah. So my uh, 22nd birthday, we, uh, I never really had any birthday parties growing up because my birthday is exactly when hockey season starts and exactly when a training camp is. And this year, obviously that didn't happen because of, you know, everything going on. So I had a, a party, obviously everyone had to be COVID tested to make sure it was safe, but, um, this party was basically Oscars themed. So we all dressed up fancy. We had a red carpet. We had an awards show, uh, musical performances, the host PK was hosting. And yeah, it was, it was a blast. You know, PK wasn't supposed to host at first. We're supposed to have uh, Artem, one of our uh, friends who's a reporter for the NHL was supposed to host, but he sadly tore his Achilles in the soccer game we played (laughs) that morning. So PK, PK was next man up. He did a great job. He interviewed on the red carpet. A lot of great content on his Instagram from that, but also he did a fantastic job, you know, hosting, performing, and just overall being a great guy. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate those kind words. And yeah, I I was just supposed to be like a normal party guest, just like everyone else. And yeah, it was crazy. We like one of our one of our friends, uh, Matei Picar, who will probably be on this podcast later later on. But he was like, "Oh, Artem, we need another guy. We need another guy to play," even though. Like, no disrespect to Artem, but he's not really in soccer playing shape. And, man, like, seeing him go down and then seeing him, like, in pain was just tough to watch. It sucked. Yeah, it was brutal. They called the the paramedics. They were all there. They got the ambulance, you know. It was not a pretty sight to see. Like No. uh, You know, Artem, thankfully, had a surgery. He's recovering, and he's, you know, already skating, so – Good, good for our time for, you know, he, he got knocked down, but he got up again. So that's all that matters. Yeah. So, our, so yeah, I just had that mindset of next man up and I wanted to do everything I could to just make it fun. And even funny thing was I saw a joke Jimmy Kimmel made about, uh, it was Timothy Chalamet about him being young. So Nicholas, who is going to be in this episode a little later, he, I made that same joke about it and everyone, everyone liked it. So yeah, I just try to have a fun time and keep it light especially on the red carpet so it was a good time of course it was a blast absolute blast yeah for sure it was it was great um now for those that are unfamiliar with Igor he's been blowing up lately on Twitter now I should preface you've blown up on Instagram TikTok and Twitter basically all like separate moments which time did you blow up were you like especially like whoa like I'm just going viral right now Probably on TikTok because it happens so quickly. TikTok, you know, you go to bed with, you know, 2,000 views and you wake up with, you know, quarter of a million views or something like that. And it's just crazy how fast TikTok, uh, TikTok goes. You know, you, you gain followers like that with one blow, video that blows up. And 
yeah, a couple of times on TikTok, I would just post something, you know, and literally I would just be shocked. Like I would be gaining thousands of followers, like hundreds of thousands of views and likes and all that. And it's, it's very, um, it's, I feel like it's kind of unhealthy for a lot of kids because when that, if that happens to them once, then every other video is most likely not going to get to that level. So it's very unhealthy when you have that expectation of every video is going to go viral, but the thing about being viral is it's like a significant thing. Not every video will go viral. So a lot of kids, I feel like that's really difficult because, you know, you put out a video, then you put another one that you work even harder on and it doesn't blow up. It's like you start to doubt yourself. And I don't think that's too, um, I think that's good for kids, but no, I, uh, for me personally, it was definitely TikTok. Cause that just happened so fast, so quick. And it's, it's one of those platforms where like anyone could blow up. Anyone could, you know, gain a ton of followers. Yeah, of course. And like when listening to like, obviously the TikTokers who are at the top of the game, like Bryce Hall or Josh Richards or these guys, they say like, they look, like you said, they'll go to bed with very little followers and they wake up the next day and they have millions. Like it's, it's honestly insane. Yeah. And for those that want to check out his, this video that we're talking about, he made, Igor made a video about highlighting the pro athletes in his family throughout the decades, including himself. And I believe the video right now is at 3 million views, which is honestly insane. It's really cool to see. Dude. Yeah. Like I remember like you were, sh you were showing it to me and like, it just was going viral. Like it was, it was just unreal. Yeah. It's one of those things where you can't believe it. It's like that many people wanted to watch this, you know, it's like, how did that happen? Absolutely. And I also mentioned Twitter. So I remember before, like a few months ago, you weren't really that active on Twitter. So what really changed your perception of where you thought, Hey, I'm going to start being more active on Twitter because as we speak, you're about to hit 10,000 followers on Twitter, which is, which is a good accomplishment, which is a big accomplishment. But where did that desire come from to start tweeting more and be active? Um, you know, shit happened. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, I just most honestly, people think I'm some activist or something when in reality, no, I've just made maybe three or four tweets that I find to be common sense that people deserve, you know, to be treated equally and that human rights is for every human being. And like, to me, that's not really activism. That's just common sense of, you know, being a good person. I mean, the majority of my tweets are just like me joking around or making a fool of myself. And, you know, I just figured I could, you know, be myself to the, to the public and, you know, people who want to see it, will see that and hopefully they enjoy it. And so far it seems like they're enjoying it. Even people who, you know, at first I didn't think would enjoy it. They're, you know, on board. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where stuff happens in your life and you like decide that you're going to start doing something and be a little bit more active and so far so good. Obviously I want to continue um, being an ally to these communities because I feel like that's a very important thing to do. Not many people in hockey, you know, see these people for who they are. They just, you know, look at them as like, um, I don't even want to say not as humans, but almost as a, a group where I, I want to make it so people look at him and be like, you know, we're not marginalizing a group of people. We're bringing, we're looking at individuals and saying, all right, these are human beings. They're just like me and they should be treated, you know, fairly and equally. And that's exactly what, you know, I'm trying to do with that. But in terms of just like funny tweets or like, you know, messing around, that's just usually stuff that I would send to friends or, you know, other people like that. But now I've just decided to, you know, post it, uh, post it online. And so far people have enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. They've reached a greater audience. And going back to that point, I mean, I think that 
you have to judge these like these people like they're, they're people i mean there might be like exactly. a few differences between us but that's what makes us human and yeah it's those tweets actually as you know that are becoming the most viral and that are getting the most likes and i think you've said this on many other podcasts you've been on in the past two weeks that it's really not that hard to to support these groups and to have a voice out there and i think you're doing a really good job on that yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with uh, with difference. I mean, that's what makes the world a special place. If if everyone was the same exact person, the world would be a boring place. You know, there, 100%. there'd be nothing interesting. That's the that, that's the beauty of of human beings is that there are different communities, and just because a community is different doesn't mean you need to treat them like they aren't a human being. And that's basically what I'm trying to show. That sure, there are differences, but at the end of the day, we're all humans and we're all on the same team. So that's something that I want to you know bring more attention to, especially in the hockey community where a lot of people feel like they're um, being marginalized by, you know, fans, players and whatnot. So if we can just get the mentality that we're all on the same team, we're all, you know, human beings, especially the hockey community, we're all, you know, fans of hockey and like, we love the game. And if we can all agree that, you know, we're in this together, I think the world will be a better place. Absolutely. And at least for me, that's how I grew up hearing was if you're the, if everyone's the same, it's a boring place. If everyone played like hockey or if everyone just played soccer, it would, it would be boring and there'd be no diversity or no, difference. So I think that's great. And obviously you don't want to alienate anyone. So I think what you're doing is you're actually bringing groups together. And I think that's great because you don't want to alienate a certain group because then that, those are eyes and dollars that are not being spent uh, on that sport and that product. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many different, you know, ways of looking at it. There's a way of growing the sport financially. There's a way of growing the sport in terms of just, you know, making it a friendlier place. So I, I don't think there's any issue with, you know, doing those two things because one, it helps the sport grow and two, it gives people an opportunity to, you know, watch the sport and feel more comfortable being a fan. And I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, obviously the more people that can be touched, like I've, like I going on Twitter, I see on my timeline, all these people that reply to you and they say, Hey, thanks for seeing me. Thanks for noticing me. Like that's huge. It, any, anything that touched someone else's life is very valuable. Of course, that's the goal. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Igor, you've also played in a number of spots, especially in junior hockey. And I wanted to just kind of ask, like, with, like, I just wanted to kind of tee you up for some stories, like, especially in Muskegon, you guys had basically a Russian five. What was that like? And are there any kind of stories you can share about your time in Muskegon? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a blast playing with those guys. We we're all, you know, really good friends off the ice. And a lot of us are still really good friends to this day. Basically, what would happen a lot of the time is, when we'd be coming back from road trips, you know, the entire bus would be like watching movies or, you know, they have their headphones on, you know, like some guys would be asleep and we'd just be sitting next to each other for you know, five, six, seven hours. And we'd be talking, we'd be laughing, we'd be playing cards and we'd just be yelling the entire time. And by the end of it, people started getting annoyed with us because we started, you know, we were just such a, uh, like a, so loud on the bus. So mm -hmm. they, they didn't really like us sitting next to each other because of that. But um, also at our rink, we had a basketball court and every day all of us Russians would go play basketball. And at first they thought it was funny, like Russians playing basketball. But then by the end of it, we could pretty much take anyone in a five on five basketball game. because <laughs> we got so, we got so good by playing it so much. And it was just, you know, it was a ton of fun playing with all these guys and spending time on the ice, off the ice. You know, obviously on the ice, it's, it's a blast playing with guys that, you know, understand you and play a similar style. But also it's just it's just fun being with good guys, being with friends, because that I think that's really special when, you know, your connection is both on and off the ice. And that's, you know, doesn't happen too much in sports. I feel like a lot of people 
have the coworker type mentality, whereas we had like a true friendship, true, um, you know, trust for each other. Yeah. And I think that's especially, uh, I think that definitely helps when you have that friendship and it's not really looking at it like, Hey, it's just a job. Like you're going to hang out with your friend, your buddies and yeah. having a good time. And who was the best basketball player out of those, out of you five? I think that's I know my answer one. is. We, we all we all played a different style of basketball so when we would play it would basically be i would be sort of like the point guard i'd be running the show and my my point guard style is rajon rondo it's like i, I drive i can't, you know i'm that's that's my game you know i find the open guys then we had um we had <laughs> gushin who wouldn't, wouldn't play too much he was a, sort of like a, a combo guard sort of like a shooting guard point guard type guy he couldn't shoot at all he had a horrible shot but he could he was quick. He was fast. He was hard on defense. So if I had to compare him to anyone, it would probably be, um, there's this guy who played on Ohio state, like maybe five, six years ago, Aaron Kraft, this like short white guy mm-hmm. who was just unreal on defense. He'd like slap the floor and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> just a real, you know, hardworking guy. His dad was a coach, you know, loves the game, sneaky athlete. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, our probably small forward would be Yako Yakovenko. Mm-hmm. He was just like slow. He wasn't too tall, but you know, he could shoot it pretty well. He had a good stroke down, especially from mid range, you know, sort of like an Al Horford type player, set a screen, moves the ball. Well, then power forward. We had, um, Gore Afanasiev. Yep, Afan. <laughs> he, he was one of the more, the more skilled guys, you know, he could dribble, he could fade away. He could post up, um, as a power forward, honestly, his game, is pretty much like a less skilled Kevin Durant. You know, he could get the job done, get inside. He's, he's 6'4", so he's pretty tall. And then at center, we had Andre Golikov. He was a horrible shooter of the basketball. He would shoot it like a throw-in in soccer, like just over his head. But around the glass, I'm telling you, this dude would dunk everything. He would get all the blocks, all the rebounds. You just literally toss it up to him. He'll get the alley-oop. He was like 6'5 or something. He's a giant. And yeah, like put that combo together us five or sometimes it'd be just three of us with subs like we pretty much took everyone down but to be honest when we would play one-on-one between who's the best it would always come down to me and uh Yegor Afanasiev and I think I ended up winning that series but if you ask him he'll probably say he ended up winning that series so it's a bit <laughs> of a disputed title oh I definitely uh, if I have the chance to get him on here I'll definitely ask him how those one-on-ones went now uh, obviously you spent <laughs> no, yeah of course now now you obviously spent a little bit of time in the ushl with which away rink was the, the most fun to play and i know obviously when you played there were still like full crowds or there were still fans uh, there which which away rink was uh, the most fun to play in you know the the rinks in the ushl weren't like as nice i would say as the ones in the ohl mm-hmm. so there wasn't really a specific rink that stood out to me. I really enjoyed playing at home. I think our at home, we had a, a great atmosphere. We had always a lot of fans because we were a really good team that year. But away, I would probably have to say um, maybe Green Bay. They had a, like a, a big arena. It was, you know, kind of like NHL style, which was obviously cool. You know, big Jumbotron, you know, big stands, all that. And it was like a pro feeling to it. Um, I also liked Dubuque. It was very like juniorish. It reminded me of like the Sioux Arena in the OHL, and it was just very homey and like very small. You could tell it was like a tight uh, community where everyone sort of you know they would go to the games together. It was like sort of like the thing that you do on the weekends, and that was a cool place to play. But of all the places, I'd probably have to say playing at home was by far the best. 
Yeah, of course. The LC Walker Arena is is a very nice rink, very nice to play in, and obviously, yeah, Muskegon obviously draws well attendance yeah. wise. Now, you mentioned the OHL, and you had the great fortune of playing at Windsor, especially mm-hmm. since you're 40 minutes away, right across the river in Detroit. Yeah. Now, tell the listeners this because I remember you've told me this many times off camera. You matched up in the playoffs against uh, St. Louis forward Jordan Cairo. How you got to tell tell the listeners how how well you played against this guy because you almost had him in your back pocket, basically. Yeah. Yeah. We were the, I think the seventh seed, they were the second seed, you know, we were a young team. We weren't too good. And at that playoff playoff run, you know, we had no expectations. Sarnia was one of the teams that was, you know, trying to, trying to win it all. And we came into their building game one. I think we won six to two. I had three points that game. Game two, we uh, lost a nail biter at the very end. You know, I had an assist and after, the game I forget which team it was a scout came up to me and he flat out told me you're up playing Kairou this series and I was like oh wow you know to me that you know I know what I can do and I know how I can play so it wasn't like a you know anything shocking but like it was obviously nice to hear you know some recognition from um, someone who you know has an input with an NHL team or whatnot so yeah hearing that was really cool we got back to um to Windsor I think we won game three I forgot I might have had an assist that game and then game four, I ended up, um, I got cross-checked at the end of the game. We were down uh, empty net. I think I was on the ice for the last two minutes of that game because we needed a goal. And I got cross-checked with maybe a minute left. I ended up finishing the game, but I herniated a disc in my back. And after that, I tried to play uh, game five. And after a period, I basically pulled myself out. I was just hurting the team. You know, I couldn't. I couldn't play and they couldn't really do a injection because they can't really numb your spinal cord. Cause then they basically take an epidural shot when you have a surgery it numbs your entire body. And yeah, we ended up losing game five and game six and that was it. But, you know, I really believe that if I were able to stay healthy that series and our goalie, Mikey DiPietro also went down with an injury. I think he missed the last two games. If we were both able to, you know, stay healthy, I, I really do think we could have, you know, taken them all the way to seven or even won the series because when I, when I got hurt, it would have been um, a 2-2 series. And with three games remaining and playing well and feeling confident, I really think we you know, we could have done something special. It's just um, it's too bad when those things get in the way. But, you know, it's a, it was a good experience. It was fun. It was a lot of fun playing playoff hockey. Like, even the fact of, like, getting lines matched against you and these guys, like, chirping you and, you know, cross-checking you off of opening face-offs. And, like, it's just a blast, honestly, playoff hockey. It's um, – it's a different experience. Yeah, playoff hockey is a different beast. And yeah, I think it's obviously great that you're able to have some success against a player like that. And the, the thing that people say are the key to playoff success are luck and obvious luck and obviously injuries being healthy. And and it sucks, I guess, also for Di Pietro because I the next year when he was with Ottawa, yeah. like they didn't lose a game when he was in net. Like they ended up losing obviously to Guelph that year. And they, they swept the first three rounds and even won the first two in the finals. So they won 14 in a row. And I still think that if Mikey was healthy, I don't think Ottawa would have lost that year. They were, they were, they were buzzing that year. Yeah. And also with Windsor earlier that year, you had a viral moment also. This is, I think, when you went viral on Instagram was yeah. you get the puck out front, you score a goal, and your celebration was something for the ages. <laughs> yeah, so it was the... The Olympics, the Olympics were going on, uh, the Winter Olympics, it was February, and a couple of days before that game, me and my buddy uh, Lev Starikov, 
we were in the gym just riding a bike after practice, you know, just uh, loosening up. And they were showing highlights of curling, which, you know, I don't know why they're showing highlights of curling in the first <laughs> yeah. place. Not really the most um, entertaining sport, no offense to curling, but nope. no, they were, they were showing that. And we thought how funny would it be if, you know, we scored a goal and we were both on the ice at the same time. And one of us, you know, tossed our gloves and the other one would, you know, sweep. How did even curling? So we ended up playing Ottawa the next night. We had that plan set up. We had a chance in the third period. I um, did a cross-ice pass to Starkov. He had a one-timer and he missed the top corner by like an inch or two. And we were like really bummed out because we thought this is our chance to do it. And yeah, we just were practicing. We kept doing it in practice. As soon as practice would end, we'd be practicing that celebration. Like everyone saw us doing it. I don't know why they were like so surprised. <laughs> but then yeah. the next game, first first shift of the game, I steal the puck right in front of the net. I um guy was trying to make a cross-ice pass. You know, I read the play, I stole it, beat the goalie backhand. And then Starkov was on the ice and I toss my glove. He starts, you know, sweeping. It's a funny moment. Everyone's like laughing. I get to the bench and my coach is like, this is a disgrace to the game. You're embarrassing us. Like you can't be doing this, blah, 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 all these things. So he benches me for the rest of the period. In between the periods, he screams at me, blah, 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 from the entire team. Like, this is embarrassing. Starry, you're going to, I'm going to send you back to Russia. Like, first of all, who the hell says that? Jesus. Um, yeah. And then it was just, yeah, they were like freaking out at me, like making it seem like I literally, like, I don't know, like killed a child or something. And brought <laughs> exactly. In reality, like, I just did something fun because it's a game. So they were like, sort of like benching me in the second period. Then we go down three to one. And obviously when they're down three to one, like they don't really care about the benching me anymore. So they put me on, I got two, two assists and I think we ended up losing four or three, but I was the first star of the game. And you know, I come out for the thing. I wave my stick around, like all those things. Mm. I come back to the locker room and they're like, we're going to need to talk to you tomorrow. Like, where'd you even see this? I'm like, I saw the NFL, the NFL, the NFL team did it. Like they did the same celebration. They're like, well, we're not the NFL. And I wanted to be like, well, obviously we're not the NFL. We are a much less popular sport we make a lot less money and our marketing is way worse than the nfl obviously we're not the nfl so maybe we should try to be more like them if they're so much more successful than us but anyway the next day we show up and it turns out that the, the day after the game is sold out for the first time in i think a year and a half since the memorial cup and nobody ever talked to me again about it but, yeah. espn tsn every major sports network here europe literally blew up all over the world and as soon as that happened, as soon as, you know, the arena was sold out, nobody talked to me about that ever again. And I thought that was kind of odd, but, you know. Yeah, of course, they're not going to talk to someone who's filling the net or, you know, getting them ticket sales like that. And I think that's one of the things that makes the NFL honestly so entertaining is the touchdown yeah. celebrations like Green Bay has the Lambeau leap. Um, I know Mostert on the 49ers, um, he had four touchdowns against Green Bay and then one in the Super Bowl. Like he was kind of doing like, kind of like almost like, like kind of like with her spiking or like, like it was synchronized Gronk's spike. Like that's what people, that's what fans want to see. And it's an expression yeah. of yourself. Like it's, it's a lot of fun to see that. Of course. Yeah, I know people love to see when um, these, you know, athletes are, you know, showing off, like, I don't know, a dance move or something entertaining, like that kind of stuff. If you watch a game and then you go on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter after the game, you're more likely going to see like a, a funny celebration, a cool celebration than a highlight of like a, a play of like, um, you know, someone made, unless it's like a spectacular, like out of this world play. If it's like a routine game and just like routine plays happen, 
but someone does a cool celebration that is more likely to go viral. That is more likely to bring more uh, people to watch the game next time than, you know, just them showing something routine that happens every other night. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's showing your personality for celebrations like that. It, it's what, what else can you ask for? And speaking yeah. of the NFL, this is unfortunate to say, but you're a Detroit Lions fan. <laughs> how, how do you think the Lions are looking now after acquiring Jared Goff? I mean, not good. <laughs> not good at all. The thing is, I feel like Jared Goff, he, uh, if he couldn't do it with McVay and on a good team, then how is he going to do it in Detroit with a bad team? Like, obviously, the Lions are rebuilding right now, and they're not going to be that good of a team. So, like, if you can't do it with one of the best offensive-minded coaches, but also on a team that is pretty much stacked and gets you good field positioning all the time, how are you going to, like, starting at the one-yard line, having to go 99 yards with – an offensive line that's pretty much you know not developed yet to be like um a strong offensive line in the nfl so like honestly it's 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 frustrating but like hopefully they do like a real rebuild this time and not like a semi-rebuild because all these like you know semi-rebuilds they don't really work in detroit and hopefully they can just blow things up and start from scratch and honestly i was hoping they'd draft a quarterback this year but i guess that's not going to happen but you know hopefully hopefully if not this year the next year yeah, of course. Uh, them picking seventh around that range, I don't see them picking a quarterback. I think if they can pick a wide receiver like a Devonte Smith, if he's available, Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle, if they can pick, if they can get someone Goff can throw the ball to. Because, like, not only watching Hard Knocks last year when Goff was with the Rams and watching them play this year, the way McVay's system would work, he would they would play action all the time. Like, how many times you'd always see him fake the ball to someone and then throw it. So especially like watching Smith just dominate the national championship game and even chase when he was with Burrow and LSU. I mean, I think if the Lions can get someone he can throw to, I think that'll be a big step in the plan too. The problem with Detroit and the play action game is they don't have a run game. No, you can do no. the play action all day long, but no one's going to believe him because mm -hmm. they, they've never had a run game. They, they've had one 1000 yard rusher. And I think the last like 15 years or something, it was Reggie Bush. Like that's just not going to cut it. Like the, the Rams have always had a good run game with McVay. So mm -hmm. I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's frustrating being a Lions fan, but I'm, you know, I'm still holding out hope and I'm still obviously going to watch them when it's here for them. But at the same time, I wouldn't mind to see Stafford have some success. Yeah, of course. Um, that's actually what I was going to ask you next is um, if you're going to be, especially being in LA, you're going to have more opportunity. Like if you still stick there this year, you're going to have more opportunities to, watch Jared, uh, watch uh, Matthew Stafford play. Um, and obviously I think it's crazy that the Rams don't have any first round picks for the next like 15 years, just <laughs> mortgaging their futures. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's no, just, I mean, it's, it's I, I've met Stafford a couple of times in Detroit and he's always been a class act, a nice guy. So he did a lot for the city and he, you know, busted real hard you know to try to get us somewhere but they never put the right pieces around him and that's frustrating because he's a good player he's a talented guy and after struggling for so long in Detroit I'm just hoping that he can come out here and honestly like I know the Lions will be competing for the next couple of years so I might be just cheering for obviously I'll be cheering for Lions honestly though I might be cheering for Lions to lose every game so they get a high draft pick that's that's how I look oh, at for it sure. because yeah what would a five and like whatever how many games are there now 18 or 17 17 there's 17 games to share games. yeah so like they win five out of 17 like what's that going to do get them the seventh spot again that's not really going to help them much if if you're going to tank you got to tank all the way but um no I, I really would love to see Stafford win a win a, um, a Super Bowl win a ring because he's such a good player and I feel like he's been very underappreciated in his career and that's just something that I don't think is correct
Absolutely. Yeah. He, he's very, he's, he's elite when it comes to the two minute trail, especially late in games. Yeah. And I think especially uh, Cam Akers and Robert Woods and some of these guys, the Rams have, mm-hmm. I think, I think he has a good chance of succeeding. And especially you being close by, I think it would be pretty cool if you had the chance to go watch a game at SoFi Stadium, that place, that place that. is impressive. For sure. I'd, I'd love to see my, my boy Staffy, you know, <laughs> get a couple of touchdown passes at SoFi. Yeah, and I, the thing I can't believe about that place is you see like new other new stadiums like the Vikings and these other places, and it costs like almost four billion less than SoFi did. It's nuts. Yeah, I mean they put all the all the tricks into the stadium because you know it's Los Angeles. You got you got a lot of things you're competing with, and if it's not tip top, then people are probably going to spend their money somewhere else. So you got to you know invest as much as possible to make it the best possible experience for people. Absolutely. And speaking of Los Angeles, I know you're there now, but I think what people don't realize about you is this is your second tour living in LA. So at least I want to know, because I didn't meet you until you were out there the first time, what Mm -hmm. prompted the move to LA the first time? So basically my dad had just retired and just wanted to live somewhere warm, but also my sisters were singing at that time. And, you know, there's no better place to pursue a career in that than Los Angeles. So you know, we moved out to Calabasas. Uh, I think we lived here for a couple of years, but then I started to, you know, get, you know, kind of good at hockey. And obviously hockey is kind of difficult here because there aren't too many rinks. It's hard to get extra ice time and all of that. So at, um, I think at 11 years old, we moved back to, to Michigan where I was able to play for, you know, all the top teams, you know, Honey Baked Little Caesars. But yeah, first time I moved to LA was basically just my dad's like retirement thing, just like moving out somewhere warm. Um, my sisters were singing at the time. And yeah, it was it was a, a cool experience to live here. Like we uh, lived in a cool place. Um, we would go shop at the Kardashian store before they were famous. So that was uh, <laughs> that was always interesting. Um, but no, um, it's it's a very unique place, Los Angeles, because every different like little town, little community is so different. Like you can't compare the vibe of a Venice to the vibe of a West Hollywood or to uh, anything in the Valley. It's, it's very, um, it's very different and very unique. So that's why I think it's kind of cool, but um, no, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. I've enjoyed it so far both times. Of course. Yeah. And, and for those, for those of you that don't know a little bit about me, I grew up in Los Angeles. I actually lived in the Valley and like mm-hmm. you're saying, yeah, the vibes are, the vibes are very different. And what's weird is that on, like, I don't know, I feel like I kind of took advantage or took for granted living in LA because I didn't really think much of it. I was just like, oh, you know, I, I grew up in California where there's all, I would eventually meet all these people moving, obviously the Midwest and the East coast that are like, oh my God, you grew up in California. Like, oh, what was that like? Yeah. And they, they just would kind of hyper, hyper, like hyperbolize how great it is. And I, I didn't really make much of it at the time. I was just like, I just live in California. Like the weather's really nice. This is just kind of how life is. And exactly. obviously, obviously I wouldn't, I think that might be the next place I would, I would move. So I would definitely welcome that, especially like, like we've known, we've been in the, in the Midwest and the East coast where it's cold in the winter. And it's, it's just not, it's just nothing compares to being December and it's like 65 Fahrenheit outside and you get to, you get to wear shorts and it's just a great atmosphere. Yeah. The sun's always out. It's just, mm-hmm. um, it, it's good for the mood because a lot of people get seasonal depression and, I feel like that's not really much of an issue here because it's almost like it's always in the sunshine season here, which is, which is great. Of course. And so, like I said, we first met in LA. Now we also reconnected when 
when I was in Michigan uh, when we played spring tournaments together. Now, tell the tell the listeners and viewers on YouTube what was your first impression of me? Like, at least like the first either if you can't remember the first time, at least when you re met me again, like seeing this seeing this fifteen year old kid walk in, not really knowing much else. I remember it was a spring tournament. I remember when you were little, uh, just knowing a, a, about you, obviously, because our dads were friends, but like, mm -hmm. I think we spent too much time together. But when you first showed up to that spring tournament, it was a spring tournament. We were all just like, you know, in sweats or whatever. And then this guy walks in in a suit and tie. And I'm like, oh boy, we're in for one right here. <laughs> so I see you walk in a suit and tie to a spring tournament. And immediately that like, I'm intrigued, you know, not many people do that for a spring tournament, especially for just like a fun selects team. But no, um, you showed up in a, in, a, in a suit and tie, really like everyone was like, wow, this guy's really going for it. So when you did that, everyone became interested and they started talking to you. And then they just realized that you're like so nice and so easy to talk to. And everyone just immediately started, you know, just vibing with you and talking and and just you just became a part of the group so quickly, not knowing a lot of us. And you know, looking back now, people, you know, they, whenever they talk about these tournaments, they always, you know, talk about PK because PK was such a, a huge, huge part of it all. So honestly, you just came in there and then literally five minutes later, you were just, you know, one of everyone. And that was really cool. Yeah, that's what I remember. I mean, I remember just like, obviously I spoke with your dad earlier in that year and mm -hmm. obviously like he'd watched me a few times and we talked about playing in the spring tournaments and I eventually got in there and yeah, it was very easy to talk to everyone. I was like, I was just like, remember the first game, I'm like, shit, like this is good hockey. Like we're playing the right way We're it's fun. We're snapping it around. And, and yeah, like even every, as every year passed, it's like, it, I would, something I would look forward to because we just yeah. had really smart players and we played the right way. Now, speaking of that, where did the nickname PK come from? Cause I think it was either, I think it was you or your dad that came up with it. And Obviously, that's where I also got the the uh, inspiration for this podcast name, too. Yeah, so when you were younger, you literally looked like PK Patrick Kane's, like, twin brother. Like, yeah. you had the same hair. You had the same style on the ice. Like, everything about you looked like little Patrick Kane. So my dad literally was like, he just started calling you PK because you're, <laughs> you remind him of Patrick Kane because he just looked so much like him both, you know, how you looked on the ice, like though you're skating and like the way you played and all these things, but also the way you just, you know, you wore your hair and your like your vibe and everything. So yeah, that's basically where it came from. Just like you being Patrick Kane Jr. I remember even mm -hmm. after a while it was PK Jr. Then it just turned into PK and yeah. it's been here forever. Like it's just one of those nicknames that like it comes out of nothing, but it just sticks for pretty much forever, which is, I think is one of the best type of nicknames you can have. Absolutely. And a funny story about that was, uh, I think it was later that spring, my, I'm, at, I'm home from school. My dad texts me and he says, Hey, it's game six tonight, ducks and Blackhawks. Like you want to go? So it's like, absolutely. So I'm watching the game, the Hawks, they're up three, nothing. Probably one of the last times I've heard the United center, the building was just going nuts. Obviously they were able to tie it up and go to seven. So I'm walking around the concessions. I go to get some some snacks and the lady goes oh you kind of look like Patrick Kane so it's like it's not just it's not just you guys saying it yeah. so at that moment that's where the nickname stuck and and yeah I also used to just kind of have the habit of growing my hair out uh, in the playoff time and obviously I think now it's changed to just kind of going with my own look obviously I have a little bit of uh, platinum blonde hair I'm gonna go with that again which I give you credit for that was 
that was your idea and I think it looks great. Um, and obviously I'm going to do that when I get back to LA, but yeah, the name, the name PK is very original. I think it's here to stay for sure. It's a great nickname. Everyone loves it. Everyone loves calling you that. And, you know, I feel like most people, when they see you, they think of PK before they think of Peyton or, or anything else, you know? Oh, no, absolutely. And speaking of those spring tournaments, those spring tournaments were really fun. And especially one time folks, no joke, we we ended up outscoring like the whole tournament. I think it was like 42 to six. And uh, so uh, to set the scene, the first we have the first face off. Igor wins it back. He ends up getting it. Obviously, I don't think I've seen someone at this time. And you might say this is high praise. Slow the game down the way he did. I would just watch him on the bench and be like, damn, like every time just slowed down. And so he, he feeds it to King's prospect, Arthur Kaliev, who we know we call him Mike Tyson. And he just scored, he just, he just rips a one-timer in the open net. And I'm like, is this going to be that easy? Like, that's just how it was all tournament. It was, it was insanity. <laughs> I think we had two goals our first shift that tournament. <laughs> oh, you did. It was nuts. Yeah. It was just, you, everyone, you guys were playing chess. Everyone else was playing checkers. Was, but looking back, it was so unfair because we were playing um, U18 AAA. And if you look at like, our team i think we had like seven guys who played major junior that year you know yeah we did because we had a, a defenseman uh hawken who played in the in flint in the ohl we had a kid who played in the quebec league kid from sweden like junior and, yeah junior in sweden yeah you had you who played in the queue obviously ohl next year bike play was going to play in the ohl obviously second round nhl draft pick and yeah, it was just unfair. Like, Bobby, Bobby too. Bobby, yeah, Bobby Lynch, my line mate, that tournament uh, place for the Winnipeg Greg system. Before going to the queues. So Greg was literally um, mm -hmm. a few months away from playing in the queues. So we had so many guys that had played a season already in, the, in, in major junior or were like, you know, a few months away from starting to play major junior. So it was, it was kind of unfair because of that, because we were playing just like U18 kids and we were totally wrecking them and, and destroying mm -hmm. them. But it was fun because it was just the opportunity to play good hockey and, you know, just express yourself on the ice, which, you know, a lot of times coaches don't let you do that. And here, that was what we were, you know, that was our game plan. Absolutely. And going back quick to the style that I showed up in, my dad was always someone who taught me you want to respect the game. So I always didn't want to just not say look like a bum. Obviously, now I would. I feel like now for these tournaments, I would dress a lot more stylish, wear a nice pair of sweats, shoes, yeah. like a jacket. But that's just for me at the time, that's what it, how I, how I would go about it. So I would wear that. And honestly, the funniest part of those spring tournaments. So we had, so his dad had two teams. We had an R team, which was like the all-star team. And then we had a B team. The we ended up, we, yeah. The younger guys. Yeah. The younger guys. We ended up having to play the younger guys in the semifinals. <laughs> and it was, it wasn't even fair first off. And then second to me, the funniest thing is that we ended up just for the hell of it, switching goalies halfway. We're like, all yeah. right you guys could take our goalie. <laughs> and I think I ended up scoring on our goalie too, which was even more funny, but I think it was 11 to nothing when we ended up doing that. And then we, we just felt bad for them because they were like, they were good players, but they were just on mm -hmm. the, on the younger side. And a lot of them played for the main team, the, the next, the following year. Yes. So we, we basically, we just saw them as, as our buddies and we didn't want to like totally embarrass them. And our assistant coach, one of our assistant coaches, Art and Phil, both of them. Phil was mm -hmm. our like strength and conditioning coach. Legend. Art was our was Art our forwards or defense coach? Art, Art was forwards. My dad was defense. Yeah, so Art, Art was the forwards coach, and Phil was our like pregame, you know, warming us up type coach. So they because usually my dad would be on the bench for both teams. Mm -hmm. This time, 
Art had to go on the other side and he brought Phil with him and they had this game plan of like parking the bus and like not letting yeah. it go. And I think we scored like eight goals in the first period. Oh, we did. No, we scored eight. Yeah. And yeah. for those who don't know what parking the bus is, obviously Igor is a big soccer fan. So parking the bus is basically a strategy where think of playing soccer and you just literally park a bus in front of the goal. It's just all, everyone playing defense, just blocking a million shots. And yeah, that strategy backfired. And honestly, an inside joke that I'll let everyone in on that's really funny is we had like our own like Instagram account for like, we called it L United. And there's the Salt Bay meme of someone like going like this and and Igor created a, a meme of Litvak, but yeah, art, eleven yeah. of, instead of salt, it's the it's the score, which is eleven of four, and that one just lives on. It's just classic. Yeah. There's so many funny and good moments. I really wish that we had those games on, you know, on tape or something because oh, hundred percent. We could just look back at them, and it would, it would be a blast. You know, there's so so many good memories, so much fun from all that time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, now, changing topics, I know you're big. Both of us are big in a film and TV. So obviously during the lockdown, we had a lot of time to watch TV and movies. So give quickly give three shows that you really enjoyed watching during the lockdown. Um, during the lockdown, I'm going to break the rules a bit because one of these shows I watched after the lockdown, but it was... No, go ahead. Yeah, it's fine. It's my favorite like shows ever. Like so, So during lockdown, I watched Barry, which is... Probably my favorite comedy. It's you know it's incredible, written terrifically. The acting is great, great storyline. It's you know I think it's one of the better shows on HBO. And then number two, hmm, number two, that's a good one. What can I? You can say any any ones that come to mind. Anyone that comes to mind. Um, huh, man, uh, I like you know what I like. I like Better Call Saul a lot. That's a classic. Yeah, I like that show a lot. I think it's very clever the way it's written. The storytelling is very interesting and. Obviously, Bob Odenkirk is the you know kills it as um, Saul as Goodman. Salt. Yeah, and then the last one is Euphoria, which is just a masterpiece in my opinion. Very, very good. Cinematographically, the story, the the writing, the character development, you know, the acting, the vibe of the show, the the soundtrack, Labyrinth, creating all the music. Like it's to me, it's it's almost a perfect show. I I you know I I watched it two times fully, and you know I can't wait for the next season because I I'm just so attached to the characters and so attached to the story that I just, I want more and I want to see where the story's going. Yeah, of course. I actually had the good joy of uh, fortune of watching euphoria mainly during this year with my team. We, uh, we had like a two week or a 10 day COVID break because got certain guys got it. Our coach got it. And I did get to watch euphoria and yeah, it was, it was very good, very well acted. And I appreciate the recommend on Barry. Barry was a very good show and I'm excited for season three. And I know that during the lockdown, you were saying how disappointed you were because that's when they were supposed to be filming and that's, we should have had it by now. Yeah. That's postponed season three. And, but a good thing out of that is they were able to finish writing uh, both season three and season four. So, you know, when the writing's done, I feel that it, it's more like a smooth path because there can't be that many delays in terms of storytelling. It's just, you get the date set and you film and then obviously editing and all that but like at least you know what you're filming and the sets and the pieces and all of that so I think from here on it should be a pretty straight path for them to get season three and season four out to us of course and for me I would say the one show I actually didn't get to watch when it came out because I didn't have the service at the time was season one of the Mandalorian and this was a show I was excited for as a Star Wars fan and I watched it and I was like this is what I expected and obviously like Bill Burr showing up is hilarious I think Bill Burr is a very funny comedian and yeah, I ended up watching 
season two, I didn't miss, miss an episode when it came out and that was very good. And then obviously, like I said, Barry, I enjoyed Barry and I guess like everyone else, I, I, I fell for, I watched Tiger King, not saying it was my favorite, but I watched it and yeah, just some of the stuff you watch and you're just like, just, did this really happen? Like just nuts. I turned it off after 20 minutes. I, I couldn't watch that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tiger King, honestly, t- there's the jokes have been made. Tiger King feels like a million years ago at this point. Yeah. Um, so yeah and then also what movies did you watch because this will lead into actually a little game that that we'll be playing and the people at home at people listening at home can also play into that regards to movies movies man i watched a lot of movies um when i was in quarantine um honestly i can't even remember which ones because there were so many it feels like yeah, every, so many every night you'd watch something new something different and in terms of a specific movie um I can't even give you one because I just watched so many there. <laughs> the lockdown was so long, man. Like I just, it was to the point where like, actually, 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 there's one movie I specifically remember I watched during lockdown, you know, make it two movies. I specifically remember I watched during lockdown that I really, really liked. And the first one is, um, how am I forgetting the name of this movie? Um, it is called, Who's in I'll, it? I'll go to this. I'll go to the other movie real quick. Uh, so one of them is Palm Springs. Yep. With Andy Samberg, which is, I think it's an amazing film as a comedy and both as like a serious movie. It's, it's one of my favorites. Like I, I really, really, really love it. There's so many like interesting parts that happen in it. And it's sort of like a Groundhog's Day where the story is kind of similar, but they put it in a completely different direction. And because of that, I just think it's one of the movies that a lot of people should see that haven't seen it. And it was even, it got some recognition at the Golden Globes, which is, you know, I think it's great because a lot of films like that, you know, usually get overlooked, but you know, that's a, a fantastic film in my opinion. And the other one I remembered, I just actually looked it up. It is Ready or Not. Oh, it's yep. Mm-hmm. Ready or Not. And that, that movie blew me away. Like it, I'm not a big scary movie guy, but I love sort of like, I think it was a Blumhouse Productions. It was sort of, um, the, the way they make their scary movies, they're not your typical, you know, scary movie. They're sort of like a smarter scary movie. It, Mm-hmm. I actually remember it was Blumhouse or it was A24, but I know those I think two one of the two, yeah. Yeah, one of the two. Those two studios, when they make their uh, scary films, they do them in a way where it's more of like a psychological thriller. And I appreciate that way more than, you know, just, you know, a bunch of college kids walking in like, you know, Texas and a guy jumps out at them with a chainsaw. Like to me, that's just stupid. But mm-hmm. the way they were able to make this film, it's, you know, it's funny, it's charming, it's entertaining it's scary. There's lore. There's, there's so many great things about it. And I think a lot of families in the world are very similar to that family. I don't want to say like to extent, you know, that like, obviously there's like bad people like that out there, but I feel like it's, there's a lot of families that are quite overwhelming, like this family, obviously there aren't too many families that, you know, are doing what they were doing in the film, but it's the type of movie where even if, you know, you're meeting a new family or blah, 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 it is kind of overwhelming at times. And that's, I feel like is underlying, um, theme to that film and you know the ending the middle it's just there's so much suspense and intrigue throughout the entire film it's if you haven't seen it I would 1000% recommend you watch it and you know watch it like late at night make sure it's dark you know have some friends over like some popcorn and it's just one of those films that it's like don't watch it on your phone don't watch it on your computer like try to watch it on like a tv with a group of people like your friends or something and make make an experience out of it because I think it's a disservice to you know that film if you were to watch it on your you know telephone while you're riding in the subway or on a flight or something like that. So 
yeah, definitely, definitely. It's a must watch. Absolutely. And you obviously recommended that one to me. So I would give that a strong recommend. I would say the two I saw. So one of them, this was in the summer in the theater. I saw Tenet, obviously Tenet came out and I mean, that movie, it, it's very confusing. I didn't, funny story. I didn't have the best theater experience the first time. And I've told, I've told you go to this one off, off camera, but I went to, a, I went to a screening at my local cinema and the audio wasn't working for the trailers. So we're like, okay, we're just going to skip the trailers. The first scene in the movie, and if you've seen the movie, you know, the first scene, there's yeah. no audio. So I'm pissed. I'm like, what is going on? I've never seen this before. Like, this is ridiculous. I go talk to someone outside who works there. They gave me a refund pass. So luckily the audio worked the rest of the time and I didn't take away or detract from my enjoyment of the film, but I then ended up seeing it on the next Sunday. And I was like, yep, it kind of reaffirmed my opinion. I think John David Washington is very good. And it's funny because right. I, I kind of, I kind of get those Denzel because obviously that's his dad. I, I sense those mannerisms of his dad. And then obviously I, I think for me, the real standout was Robert Pattinson. I think he, as Neil, as Neil, he knocks it out of the park. And honestly, but that's not even my favorite part of the movie. Honestly, my favorite part of the movie, and I don't really think this is spoiling too much, is when a certain guy that we're both Funny familiar with, Sean Avery showed up, no joke people, oh, no. verbal meme. This was me as DiCaprio in Once Upon a, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, <laughs> looking at the screen, I was like, that's Sean Avery. Like, no joke, that was me in the theater. I was like, that is Sean Avery. and. And yeah, I've had the chance to see Tenet a few more times and I, I feel I, I understand it a lot more, but it the first time it throws a lot at you and that's yeah. not unknown, unknown for Christopher it's Nolan movies. Film, yeah. A lot of it, thinking into it, you know, a lot of thinking. A lot. And the second one is, this is one I recommended. I actually recommended it to Igor. I, to preface this, I, someone I followed on Twitter, I saw on Twitter at the time, even though I really was on Twitter, I just, I listened to their podcast. They recommended this movie. It's Game Night. It stars Rachel McAdams and Jason Bateman. Yeah. I actually saw this in, no joke, I saw this in theaters and then funny enough, played like a game then, like later that night. But I saw this in theaters in 2018 and I had a great time. It is very funny. It takes you in directions you don't expect it to go. And man, it's just very funny all around. It's it's a good time. I recommend you watch Game Night. Yeah, it's, it's a fun, it's a really fun movie. But you talking about John David Washington reminded me of another film that I saw sort of recently, which, I mean, technically we're still in that, like, you know, lockdown quarantine. Pandemic, yep. Yeah, pandemic. So that would be Malcolm and Marie. Very is, good, uh, yes. Him and uh, Zendaya, it's um, by uh, Sam Levinson, Barry Levinson's son. He uh, he also made Euphoria. And I feel like a lot of people won't like this film because it's it's just a bunch of monologuing back and forth. It's black and white. It's very artsy. It's very um, old school cinematic but the way it's shot and the way the story is told just by these two characters pretty much arguing the entire night in the setting of one room, I mean, I was blown away. Incredible yeah. performances, incredible writing. And it's, it, just, it was so raw and so real. It's like, I don't know, it's, it it's the tale of a, of, a, of a failing relationship that, you know, you just see and you're like, it's so real it's like you can you can see these two people and then you can look in the world and you're like wow like you know you you literally can tell by people what kind of relationship they're in because of this film and that's something that it was it was just so incredible like one of my sister's friends like i could tell right away that they had a malcolm and marie type thing based off of their you know their social media engagements based off of their you know rapport and 
sooner or later, you know, I think a month or two later, they broke up and she was like watching this film and she told me, oh my God, like you were so right. This is exactly what we were. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you could pretty much tell when that kind of, you know, um, stuff happens, but no, it's, it's a great movie. And I obviously recommend it. It's on Netflix. So I feel like most people should have the opportunity to, to at least give it a chance because it's, you know, it's, it's a special film. Yeah. And that's all you can ask for with uh, movies that are recommended is to just give it a chance. And even if it's not your cup of tea the first time, some people try it when you try it again, it'll normally hit. Yeah. And so that, so that leads into my game. So the game I'm going to play, I have two rounds. It's basically going to be like a Mary F kill scenario, but there's three movies. So almost like okay. which one you love, which one you like, and then which one you would have to let go. Hmm. So the first round is going to be three Christopher Nolan movies. Okay. So, so I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. So I, this is a lot of fun for me. Now, let me ask you, are there any that you haven't seen? Because that might change one of them that's included. I feel like the only one I haven't seen is Memento. Okay, perfect. Because I, I had a second one just in case. So everyone, everyone listening can also play along. So the three ones are The Dark Knight, Inception, and The Prestige. <laughs> tough. Very tough. I think those are my three favorite Nolan films. Um man oh my god why are you doing this to me <laughs> i'll just wait for the next round the next one's even tougher well i can tell it's gonna be a tarantino round <laughs> Yo, yeah so that yeah it is <laughs> oh my god you know me too well um i do oh i i can't i can't oh, um i can go first if you want so mine yeah, for me ahead. mine's a little easier so mine is gonna be mary is gonna be the dark knight this movie is, I will say, this movie is in my top five all time. This, this movie is phenomenal start to finish. I think one thing Nolan does a lot better than a lot of directors, his endings to movies are phenomenal. Like Gary Oldman, which, which it might be another question later. Gary Oldman is so underrated in this movie. Him giving that ending speech where he says he's not a hero, he's a silent guardian, a watchful protector. Oh, it gives me chills every time. And the score, too, of Hans Zimmer just builds and builds. So then I would have to, it's tough. The other two are tough. Uh, I would probably say uh, F would probably be Inception because Inception, a lot of people are confused watching it the first time, not to brag or anything, like not a big deal. I understood it the, whole, the first time all the way around. And just on a subtext level too, like all the main characters, first initials, they spell out the word dreams, which that's what the movie's about. It's about um, supplanting ideas in, in your dreams and obviously DiCaprio is phenomenal in this movie uh, so is Tom Hardy and basically half the cast of The Dark Knight Rises but that's another thing and not to mention the ending of this movie of that top spinning oh my it, god like I it starts to wobble you see it wobble just a bit like it's tough I the score at the end man of that where they're playing um time by Hans Zimmer mm -hmm. The last five minutes, I don't think there's a single word said. Maybe, maybe I think there's actually nope. two words said when he, um, the the passport control guy says "Welcome home" to Leo, mm -hmm. and then that's basically that's those are the only words said. And like the acting when he wakes up, like I get goosebumps and chills just thinking about it. Like it's, it's phenomenal, so incredible. It's phenomenal. So I would have to unfortunately let the Prestige go, but the Prestige is also a very good movie, and I think that's another one. My mom hadn't seen it at the time, so I said, let's watch it. And that movie is also very good. Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale, obviously it's funny, Batman and Wolverine, they're going at it. That back and forth they have is very interesting. Obviously, Scarlett Johansson, Scarlett Johansson is very good too. And the one wow. thing I didn't realize who was actually in the movie the first time is 
the fact that David Bowie is playing Nikola Tesla, who I feel like a lot of people are like, who, who's Nikola Tesla? Like, oh, you're talking about the car? Like, but Nikola Tesla had a very big hand in electricity and the creation of harnessing the electricity. And yeah, like you've talked about on other podcasts about how much of an artist David Bowie is. And I know this is in his later years, but yeah, he kills it too. All right, man, this is, this is very difficult for me. This is very, very difficult for me. So I'd have to marry Inception because Inception, I think is, I think it's in my top five movies of all time. It's everything about that film is just, is, is beautiful. The ending, sometimes it'll be like three in the morning and I'll just Google the ending and just watch it like over and over again. That's how big of a fan I am of the ending of- Ambiguous. Of, of him waking up on the plane, making eye contact with all of them. Like it's like the acting of that part is where he wakes up and he doesn't know if he's going to wake up ever again. And we don't know how long he was stuck in limbo at that point. So when mm -hmm. he wakes up, it's like, he could have had a, a, like how many lifetimes in there. And he just, the way Leo does that, it's, it blows me away. Ugh. And then I love the prestige so much. I love the prestige so much. Ah, I guess I'd have to let go of the dark night. Oh, that's that's tough to hear, but I, I totally understand why. I just love the prestige so much. It's it blew my mind when I saw it. It it absolutely blew my mind. And like I still watch it and I don't even watch it. I just think about it so much where it's like the ending of it, it it I physically cannot comprehend it. It's it's so well done and it's just I don't know, man. It's incredible. But then the thing about what I will say is kind of a cheat code. I get rid of the dark knight. But I'm still able to get somewhat of the Batman experience with, you know, Batman Begins and Dark Knight Rises. It's obviously not as good as the Dark Knight, but I get Dark Knight, but I still get to keep some Batman. And I'm, I've always been a big fan of Batman Begins. So at least I get of course. to keep Batman. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, and I would say, obviously, I think, I think that makes sense. The, and the Dark Knight, I think, like, which to me, what's crazy is little, not, not many people know this about me. I, I love the movie so much. I think, I think it came out when I was like seven or eight. So when I was for Christmas for eight year old, when I was eight, I got that movie on DVD. That's how much I really liked it. And, and yeah, just Heath Ledger, that was the performance of a lifetime. It, it's unbelievable. I, I know it was his birthday a few weeks ago. It's, it's, I still think about how sad it is that he's not yeah. here. And I, I honestly wonder if he was here, if he would have been in that Dark Knight Rises movie. I, I think about that all the time. Yeah, same. I, you know, it's a tragedy how he was lost and so young and so talented, you know, it's tough to see. Absolutely. And so now moving into the round two is Tarantino, which I know Igor and I are very big Tarantino fans. So the three movies are, it's going to be tough again, mm -hmm. Pulp Fiction, which is my number one movie of all time. Igor is number one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And the third one was tough because I had to like think, but I'm going to, um, at the end of the day, I'm going to go with Reservoir Dogs. Oh, wow. With one of his first, Reservoir Dogs. So I'll, the floor is yours for this round. All right. So obviously I'm marrying Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Easy, it, yeah. My favorite movie, like literally ever. Then I would probably sleep with <laughs> Pulp Fiction just because it has more going on to it. It does, yeah. Whereas Reservoir Dogs is sort of like, it's like a one, it's in a one room, basically. It's sort of like a play. It, it basically is it a is. play. It is, it's yeah. A play and 
I feel like if, if you kept that movie, it might kind of get annoying at a certain point, even though it's, it's amazing. It's a fantastic film. It's a great piece of motion picture. But um, yeah, I would definitely, I'd probably let go of Reservoir Dogs, you know, have a loving relationship with um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and a one night stand with uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, of course. So I'm in a similar boat. The only ones I'm going to switch is I'm going to marry, I'm going to hitch my wagon to Pulp Fiction. And for the main reason that there was no, at the, the time this movie came out, no movie was like this. And also, yeah. I don't think this is really a hot take, but I feel like some people that listen to this are going to be like, oh, I don't agree. Like, you're, you're stupid. But I think that's that's my favorite movie of 90, that 94 year. You know, that was actually, if I made a third round or if I didn't include Tarantino, it was going to be Mary F. Kill 1994 movies with that Shawshank and Forrest Gump. I think Pulp Fiction was the best movie that year. And I think Forrest Gump is severely overrated, but that's just me. Agree, agree. And yeah, Sam Jackson's also really great in this movie. Obviously, like this movie is endlessly quotable, obviously where he, his, what his wallet says, the mm-hmm. Ezekiel 2517, and even just the whole Jimmy situation, which looking <laughs> back on it, like the fact that Tarantino kind of, he used the N-word where he's like, where he basically he's like the, you know, dead N-word like storage in my garage. It almost is like, dude, like, I know it's for a movie, but it's like, really? Like you wrote that, like as a white person saying it, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of off-putting, kind of weird, but I mean, Tarantino's kind of an interesting guy in and of itself. Like we don't need to go too much into that, especially with what he likes, but yeah, I would say that one. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would be what I would get in bed with for that one night, mainly because I think revisionist history is interesting. And then not only hearing Margot Robbie, I believe say there's like over 200 hours or some crazy amount of hours of footage. To me, it's like, there's so much I can watch of it. And especially, especially Rick Dalton in the few scenes stick out. Rick Dalton in his trailer where he's going nuts, where he's like, he's like, you had eight whiskey sours. You could have had one, two, but you had eight. Like that freak out's <laughs> insane. And then obviously uh, Cliff and basically knock off Bruce Lee fighting. I To me, I just will just laugh. Like I'm laughing about it in my head now of, cutting the camera cutting to clip and him just talking it's like i don't know it's just yeah. funny and then obviously what happens and it's yeah, just funny yeah. it's just funny because you also have other tarantino actors in there like kurt russell who i think is severely underrated as an actor i love kurt russell as an actor him from death proof is there the, the one girl zoe from death proof is there yep. and there's just a lot of in, in jokes there and it's just funny when they hit the car and like they get mad but yeah and even, and even the last scene too, where he's like high, he's like high on acid. And he's like, um, he basically is like, what's your name? Like, he's like, oh, the devil or something. He's like, no, something dumber than that. And then <laughs> that, whole, that whole fight is just nuts. And then Reservoir Dogs, I'd have to agree with you for that same aspect that it's a little slow. Although mm-hmm. there are some great scenes like the, like the opening scene where Mr. Pink doesn't tip. Mr. Pink is a penny pincher. And then obviously the stuck in the middle with you, I think. Yeah. Anytime you, I think most people, anytime they hear that song, it's associated with Reservoir Dogs. Associated with someone ripping someone's ear off and putting it to them. That too, that that part was sadistic. Uh, so now we're also going to go to the fan submitted question part of the episode. Thank you to everyone on my Instagram. If you haven't, if you want to check out my Instagram, it's p.hughes15. And at the end of the episode, we'll plug Igor's socials. So the first question I wanted to ask was, this was submitted by someone who's going to be on the episode a little later. What do we, what do you think of Nicholas Elizarov as an athlete, and what do you think of his potential? Um, <laughs> <That's a> question. 
You know, I think Nick's a good kid. He's a, he's a decent hockey player for his age. And I don't really like the word potential for someone so young because I don't think there is any potential until you can prove that you can do something consistently. So for me, there is no potential there at all because you only gain the right of having potential when you're able to do something well consistently. Then I can look at you and say, yeah, there's potential. And for me, he's just too young for that. So if he's able to get on the level when he's like, you know, 16, getting into his, you know, OHL or USHL draft year, and he's able to consistently play at a high level, then yeah, I will say he has potential. But right now he's, you know, I think he's too young for that. Yeah, of course. I think he just needs to put his nose to the grindstone and obviously keep on that development path. So, so the next one, this, this one's also interesting to me is someone, someone asks uh, a teammate of mine, actually shout out Magnus. He asked thoughts on rap music now compared to back then. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the mumble rap wave. It's not really my favorite type of music. I, you know, I really like the, what we had a while ago, but right now, what I think is kind of cool. You look at these guys like Ian Dior, like 24 K um, a lot of these guys and like even machine gun Kelly, they were like sort of like rapping, but their rap style has sort of turned into more of a like um, punk pop, which I think is really sick. I love that. I love um, blink 182. So mm-hmm. I like that a lot of these guys who were typically, you know, be more like, um, rappers are sort of going down this path and you know it's great because there's so many you know rappers but there was sort of like a, a hole for that punk pop punk rock type thing and you know they're sort of bringing it back and I think that's really cool no of course yeah I mean I think rap now I, I feel like it's kind of fake or at least there's an aspect like I think I saw like it was a video on Twitter it was Meek Mill and Takashi 69 were basically mm-hmm. fighting, but it was like they're they were holding their phones at each other. It's like yeah. this is like a fight. Like, what is this? And I don't and and, yeah. I, and I like Meek Mill's music a lot more than 6ix9ine. I'm very out on 6ix9ine, but I was just like, what are you guys doing? Like, yeah. what? Uh, another question from same guy is beer or hard liquor? I don't drink beer because I'm gluten-free, so I'm a mm-hmm. I am a big, um, you know, tequila mezcal guy and um, I'll have some wine. You know, I'm not really, I don't really like the taste of wine, which is kind of interesting considering my dad is a, a winemaker, but mm-hmm. I'm not too crazy on alcohol in general. I don't really like, you know, go out of my way to drink. Obviously I, you know, for, I'll have like an Aperol or something, an Aperol spritz if it's warm outside and like a lunch or something, but I'm not going to go out of my way to you know get drunk or anything. Like if there's a party, if there's a, like a, a social event, then yeah, I'll have some, but you know, I'm not too big on just, you know, getting blind drunk for no, for no reason. Blackout. Yeah. No, that's fair. Now, a question that a sister of mine asked was, have you been to press juicery? And if so, what's your order? I actually haven't been to a press juicery. Um, I don't really drink too many juices, man, to be honest. I have mm-hmm. my, uh, my greens that I drink and that's pretty much the closest thing that I have to a juice. Um, I, I, actually, I, I was getting some juice at a place in Venice. I forgot what it's called. Um, but I looked at the back and it was just a green juice with kale and all these things. And for some reason it had, I think, 10 grams of sugar. And when I saw that, I just stopped drinking that because, you know, I don't want to put 10 grams of sugar into my body. Like that's not something that I'm, you know, interested in doing. So I stopped doing that and I'm, you know, just drinking uh, the green juice that I have at home because it has zero grams of sugar. And, you know, that's, I think that's kind of that's better for for your health and better for your overall um, well-being. Of course. Uh, another question was, have you been to Sochi? I have been to Sochi. Yeah, I've been to Sochi. I was in Sochi this year for um, an away game. 
we flew in uh, from Nizhnykamsk. It was minus 40 in Nizhnykamsk. And we flew, flew in, I think, three in the morning to Sochi. And when we got to Sochi, it was, it was like, you know, 55, 60 degrees. It was great weather. Um, hotel was really nice. Radisson right on the, on the sea. They had um, pretty much everything you could ask for. And then me and my buddy who played on Sochi, uh, we went for, for dinner at a really nice restaurant. They had really nice food. And I really enjoyed Sochi. It's a great, great little community, great little city. It's obviously on the sea. And it's one of my, um, one of the nicer cities in Russia, I definitely have to say. Yeah, Sochi seems like a good time and obviously former host of the Olympics. So yeah. that was obviously would have been a blast. This one's interesting to me. What was the last book you read? The Sean Avery book. And what is the uh, title of that book for those who are unfamiliar? It's called Ice Capades. <laughs> so basically it's Sean Avery's uh, memoir and he just talks about his, um, his life and just how he sees everything. And I feel like I have a lot of, you know, um, similarities to Sean Avery in terms of our interests. And we see a lot of things, uh, you know, eye to eye. And I read his book and it really opened my eyes on a lot of things. And, you know, I'm just happy that I was able to read that. Like, I never knew a lot of things about him growing up. I just knew my dad would tell me that I played with Sean Avery, that, you know, people don't really like him. But I always thought he was a good guy. That's what my dad would tell me about him. And after reading his book, I started to realize, you know, there aren't many people in hockey that are interesting. And Sean is probably one of the, the few, if there even is any interesting people in the sport. Yeah. Sean Avery has definitely, I think for me, at least like I knew who he was, I knew like of what he did, but and this might be, I don't know if it's cliche to say, but especially hearing him talk on, on spit and chiplets, I was like, you know, this guy's like, like, I like what he's talking about. Obviously I think he does a really good job on Instagram. If you follow him, he breaks down the game very well and a lot better than you think he would for the role he played. Like he gives a lot of good insight. And then obviously on his Instagram, like him harassing people in the bike lanes, is just pure comedy. <laughs> like yeah, it's just, he's a good player. You know, people forget, forget that, but he was actually a good player. And funny thing also I should mention about Sean Avery was he was a teammate of Igor's dad. The yeah. last cup they won in Detroit when his dad was there. Yeah. He, my dad still tells me stories about him. So he, he didn't play much, but he had an impact in the locker room. That's for sure. Of course. And obviously a film star now. Yeah. Uh, this one's also funny, obviously talking about our last uh, topic. What is your favorite movie scene? And this one's obviously tough because there's what's one scene out of a many, but if you want to choose like two or three, like that's fine. I think I know one of them. <laughs> I, I think there's a couple, there's a couple. Um, serious answer my favorite scene would be the ending of once upon a time in hollywood that whole sequence when i saw it in theaters i must i must died laughing like it was incredible the entire theater blew up laughing it was one of those things where you felt like you were at a sporting event cheering for something and not at a movie theater watching a film it was it was incredible mm. in terms of like a, a funny answer it's the baseball scene from twilight yeah <laughs> it is so bad it is so bad that it's funny like it's so outrageously just like what is going on that like you can't help but respect them for their goal and what they were trying to do but it it kind of it kind of works it kind of works with the music and the baseball and like it's just it's too much but it it might be enough you know it's 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 funny but i don't know mm -hmm. man it's 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 like it's got this lore to it too a lot of people like look up to that and it's like trending all the time on like twitter <laughs> no it's, it's it's a special piece of art because not often does something from a horrible movie get remembered mm -hmm. so vividly and so many people enjoy it. So 
because of that, it's, you know, it's up there. Yeah, of course. I would say like kind of a serious answer. I would say uh, it'll go back to the last round we played, but I'm going to say the interrogation scene between the Joker and Batman in the dark Knight. I mean, just, just the, like the, the interaction between those two is so interesting to me. And it's weird because he, there's a little bit of relevance today when the Joker says, you'll see these so-called civilized people, they'll eat each other. And I think we saw that in real life when people at the beginning of this pandemic were fighting over toilet paper and doing things like that. And I was, it hit me when I was watching, I was like, yeah, people like the people are turning on each other. Um, and so there's that. And then obviously what's also interesting is when Batman slams his head on the table and he goes, never start with the head. Victim gets all fuzzy. It turns <laughs> out late. It turns out later on that when he gives the addresses for Rachel and Dent, there's he switched them, which mm. he obviously knew he was doing. But to the viewer, you're like, he must have switched them because he was dizzy from the first yeah. strike of the head. And then it's just also interesting how pissed off Batman gets as that goes on and how the Joker is just laughing in his face and is like, no matter what you throw at me, there's nothing you can do. Uh, so there's that. And then the for funny answer, another movie I watched during lockdown, I think people need to watch. I think it's on Netflix is the naked gun files from the police squad. <laughs> this movie, like I was watching this with my mom. We were pissing ourselves laughing. And the one scene in particular is, is when he's in uh, Ricardo Montalban's office and he like just th- it just slaps like things go awry, like it sets yeah. it on fire. He he crawls outside and he's like climbing the ledge and there's these gargoyles. So like they have like, you know, boobs on them. So he grabs them and kind of swings and then ends up grabbing like an actual woman's woman's boob and then she screams and then he falls down like the statues also had like they had a dick so he grabs it and then like turns it up and then like the, it cuts to the statue and he's smiling like <laughs> the movie just has so many so many moments like that and there's even one also where the airbag goes off and he crashes and then the airbag turns the the, the car into drive and it drives by and he's like hey is anyone gonna look on that guy <laughs> there's just so many classic moments like that um now another another interesting question is um let's see another question is what's one thing you do to prepare for a game mentally um i don't really do anything to prepare i just go out and play <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't really believe in like, you know, preparation or anything like that. For me, if I, if I ever prepare, I don't play well. So I just like to, um, I tend to have fun with it before games. I like to, you know, play some soccer, throw the football around. If there's a basketball hoop, you know, try to do some fun, fancy dunks or something like that. But I don't really do anything over, over the, um, the top preparation wise. I'm sure I'll listen to some music, but I just, I don't like to be overprepared because then if I'm too serious, then I, I don't play well because I, you know, take it too seriously. So if I, when I'm having fun, I play a lot better. And I, I try to, you know, try to make f- fun out of the, you know, the pregame and all that. So that's, that's probably my answer. I just, I just go with the flow and I just try to have fun before the game. Yeah. A great quote I heard, and this is from the late great Kobe Bryant. Kobe said, if you ever find yourself nervous before a game, it's because you didn't prepare well enough. So at least for me, I try, and obviously I'm not at the level you are, but I try to at least make sure you do. I do everything in my power to prepare. And I think that's all you can ask for is make sure you're prepared. No different than in school when you study, if you're not nervous for a test, you know, you studied the right way and things like that. So, I mean, yeah, you don't want to overthink it. And then 
Another question I think that is, this is actually from our boy, Eddie Agamov. In your opinion, is it better playing professionally overseas than North America? Uh, no, it's better in North America because uh, first off, style of life is a bit different over there. So it's an adjustment and you get paid more money here. When it's, it's, it's a tough thing. If you play, let's say, in the American League compared to playing overseas, you'll make more money overseas. But if you make the NHL, you make you know more money over there unless you're like a top guy in, in the you know the KHL or something. But for me, if I had to choose, I'd rather play in um, in North America for sure. Mm -hmm. Of course. Now here's here's one I think that's rather an interesting one. Mm -hmm. I just want to know if we could like go on a date. <laughs> one of the listeners submitted that one. Um, yeah, <laughs> like, how do you answer this without like crushing someone or without giving someone too much hope or like, I think um, you'd have to meet them in person or have to get yeah, to know them I a little more yeah. in person. Like I have like a certain type of people that I like and, you know, mm. the people who know me or the people that know my history know what that is. And, um, yeah, like I'm always open to have more friends, but in terms of like a romantic um, experience, I uh, I sort of know what I'm looking for. And that's not to say there aren't good and bad people in every um, category of the world, but in terms of, you know, what I'm looking for, it's a certain particular type of person that, you know, fits a couple mm -hmm. of, you know, you know uh, what, what would you call it? They check, they check, they check the boxes, they check the boxes, yeah, they check the boxes that I'm looking for. And that's basically, you know, the, the type of person that I'm interested in. Yeah, of course. Uh, so this one, so if I'm going to ask, there's three more, two more questions than I have one final one. So this one's interesting. This person asked you to do a little mental math here. She, okay. She asks, what's 102 minus 54? 102 minus, minus 54. Yep. All right. So let me figure this out. Mathematically speaking, 102, if you take... If you take the 54 and make it into 56, because you take the two from the hundred, you give it there to 56. Mm. So it's 102 minus, so it becomes a hundred minus 56, right? Oh uh, yeah. So it'd be hundred yeah, minus 56. 100, yeah. 100 minus 56, you get 44, right? Um, so okay. negative 44. So actually, Okay, so yeah, it was 102 minus 54. No, so here's how I looked at it. So I looked at it as 102 minus 54. So I looked at it as oh, wait, no, 48, 48. Yeah, it's 48. Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah. yeah, I was saying how you look at it as a hundred. I would just do 102 minus 50. So take the four out. So hmm. that means it's so that would be 52. And then you minus 52 minus four, it's 48. Yeah, yeah. I, I added the, the two to the wrong place. At the no, you're good. So another interesting one, a uh, teammate of mine asked, and I, I'm curious, I think you might get what he means by this. Mm. <laughs> so he says, if a lizard and a monkey got into a fight, who would win? <laughs> talking about Godzilla or what? Yeah, no, no, okay, that's, he wanted, yeah, we're talking about Godzilla and Kong. Yeah, he, that, he just worded it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm always on team monkey. I've always loved monkeys. Monkeys are one of my uh, favorite, favorite, you know, creatures on this earth. I'm not a big lizard guy. They kind of um, they kind of scare me a little bit because they're very um, 
crawly and you know but no I'm, I'm a monkey guy i like monkeys monkeys are my are my are my people they're my you know i've always i've always gone to the uh, museum the zoo whenever i go to the zoo i i enjoy to see the monkeys or on like nature tours i i've always loved monkeys and i'm i'm you know not the biggest fan of lizards they're very like you know, scaly and like that's just not for me now for me to play devil's advocate here i actually like lizards and as weird as that sounds i don't know i just thought reptiles was kind of cool like how they looked how they like what they do um obviously like the get like geckos or lizards you get at the store not komodo dragon i'd be a little more afraid of like the ones that can like basically eat you in half but i mean godzilla i mean he also breathes fire so there's that too but i mean you'd have to watch the movie to find I out just, i just i just look at a monkey and it's just such so similar to like like a, a human like a capuchin, mm -hmm. it's so similar. It's like a little dog or something. I, I just find them really like, you know, nice and cute. And <laughs> or macaca. Yeah, macaca like, monkey. They're just you know, you look that up and it's just like a little human face, but also very like cuddly. And it's just I don't know. I I've always been a fan of monkeys. They're probably one of my favorite mm -hmm. animals. Of course. So a question that well, probably so wrapping this up. My last question is, and you would ask, and actually I gave you this idea not to get credit, but on your show. Who would you like to see me interview next, or at least at some point down the road? Um, let me think. And you can give out a few; it doesn't matter. Let me check who I follow on Instagram. Oh, I know who. Ethan Warrick. No, for sure. Yeah, you've uh, for those at home. Ethan Warrick is a is a legend of pro hockey. Obviously, he's played in the American League. AHL superstar. This guy, like the the most the the most superstar person you could think of, honestly. And he, he personifies the word superstar. Like if you, if you were to see this guy, the way he dresses to games, like it's incredible. He wears like a, a purple Supreme fur coat with like Jordans and like a backwards hat. And he's like, he's straight out of the seventies in terms of that. He's like, a, <laughs> like Joe Namath, yeah. even though Joe Namath is still alive, but like, you mm. know what I mean? No, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be a very, very interesting interview. I think from what you've told me, like there's, there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of potential to mine out of him and yeah, he spent, you know, time in multiple leagues. So I think that would, would be very cool. So also what, um, where can people find you on social media? I know you're a lot of places, but mm -hmm. feel free to plug yourself here. So my uh, Twitter and no, just my Twitter is Igor underscore Larianov LL, LL for the Roman numerals. And then my TikTok and Insta are Igor Larianov underscore LL. That is also for the Roman numerals, the LL. And on all of my profiles, you can hit my link tree and that'll have all of my, you know, accounts. It'll have where you can find my merch and also some, you know, social issues that I support and that I stand uh, for, up for and you can find more information where you can donate and just um, where you can learn more stuff about these uh, issues because a lot of times people don't know enough and that's why they hate instead of you know when you can read up and get some knowledge I feel like people begin to hate less because they start to understand and sympathize with something more than when they have no knowledge they just blindly hate and I don't think that's the right way to live. No absolutely not and for those that are going to see the, the the visual on YouTube, I wanted to stand up real quick and show you that I'm wearing some merch in oh, yeah. Igor's honor. He create he actually created this. This is his idea, um, and I think in your social is that where the link is to buy to buy some merch. My uh, it's in my link tree. It's in all of the bios on all of my um, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, 
the the link tree you hit that and it literally just says merch you press that and you go on the website and you pretty much can find you know 50 or 60 items worth of you know il69 stuff and you know it's it's some great great clothes great designs and you know it's some cool stuff that you can you can wear there's some fanny packs some there might even be some masks so there are yeah so just get it while you can um it's going on going hot so make sure to support the brand absolutely and and great thing is that i got this just in time for this interview and and yeah he's he's killing it with this so igor thanks for being my first guest i had a lot of fun talking mm, kind of kind you. of a natural conversation just like normal and igor igor will be coming on in the future especially i have some plans when i'm in la for some in-person interviews so i can't wait for that so thank you once again for being my first guest of course pk thanks for having me man i look forward to seeing your show grow because i know you you uh you know a lot of cool people and you can really uh, hold the conversation well so i'm excited to see where this goes and where this takes you absolutely thank you and with our next interview we have nicholas elizarov all right our next guest is this is going to be a recurring segment on peak the pk place podcast we have a good friend of mine nicholas elizarov as our youth hockey insider nick aka mr 488 40 yard dash how are you my friend Good, PK. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Well, first, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. So, what are so what's the latest in the youth hockey scene? Uh, nothing too special. I mean, just finished off states in Michigan here. Compuware made it to the finals. Natty, Natties are going to be up uh, in a few weeks. Uh, off season just started for us. Spring season is going to start up uh, in the beginning of May, and that's basically it for now. So how much uh, time, how much time are you taking off from the season till you start training again? I mean, honestly, I got into it right away. We ended the season last week on Friday, and I I told it, my trainer that we just got to get into it right away. So I started up on Monday again, and then took a quick break on Tuesday to like rebuild the muscle and everything. Went back on Wednesday. Uh, we have skates on Thursday, Friday, and so on. So no breaks for me. Just keep on buzzing no breaks all gas i love it now i gotta ask too where how do you think the landscape has changed like let's start locally in michigan with the whole covid19 pandemic for the season i mean it was rough in the beginning of the year everything was closed down um it was just horrible everything was closed down and uh you couldn't do anything with it and um everything was closed down because the rings were closing down and kid teams were getting COVID. For example, my team in September, uh, like seventh or eighth, the whole team got COVID right when the season started that week, the season started, uh, the whole team got COVID right when we were going to Nashville. So it didn't work out. But since then we've been fine because everyone's been taking the COVID thing more lightly. Now rings been getting, uh, open back up and we finished season off normally. So it's fine. No, it's good. That's good for sure. How do you uh, now? How do you think the level of play was amidst everything that was going on? I mean, the level of play was the same. It was everything was getting more challenging. Everyone was getting bigger and stronger. I mean, everything is still how it's supposed to be. It's just the thing with the masks. Like it was, it's harder for a lot of players to play with masks. Harder for them to breathe and everything. Like we had a game. I mean, six, seven guys got kicked out of the ice off my team because they didn't have a mask on. And it was just killing everyone. But now that the refs became more calm with it, we've been 
uh, progressing and doing better. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's I think that's kind of normal. I mean, USA Hockey, I, th I will say they've done a good job of making sure the rules are in place. And even I would say following the rules, even as silly as it might seem with the whole mask thing. Now, now, how do you think your season went? And obviously, what what things are you looking to, to build on as you continue your youth hockey career? I mean, personally, well, as a team, our season did not go very well at all. It was it was very rough. I mean, just losing games, not getting. But individually, I think my season went pretty well. I was progressing over the season, started to get noticed more. Um, but the season for me went pretty well. And I'm looking forward to this year because this year we're going to have better coaches, better players. So it's going to be a much better uh, season for us. So now, now by you saying it's going to be a better season, does that mean, does that mean more opportunities to post your highlights on social media? I don't know. I think I might stop that, but I've been getting a lot of hate for it, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay. No, I see. I mean, I definitely think um, obviously it's not sports center. So I think mainly if you're going to, if you're going to post your highlight, I think mainly if you're going to create a highlight reel, I think that's more something you would want to create and then send out once you, think about possibly playing junior hockey uh mainly to coaches so coaches get a sense of you obviously I think obviously you don't really want to post your highlights on online but that's a whole other thing so I know that you're in the Michigan area and you're, that's kind of localized for what you're, you're dealing with but how do you think now this how do you think other areas were affected by the, the level of player the how it went during COVID from people that you've talked to out of state I mean, personally, I think that it didn't affect a lot of states at all. I mean, the only state that it truly affected was us in Chicago or Illinois, but it was mainly in Chicago. Uh, everything else was open. Nashville was open all the time. But the thing is that like Nashville team, they had nobody to play. So what they had to do is they had to come down. So, I mean, we went to Ohio around three, four times this year just to play like two games in a day because everything was shut down in Michigan and nobody could do anything about it. And like Maha, they warned us. They said that if you guys play and we find out where you're going to be done for the year. But I mean, our teams, not one team in Michigan did not play. Everyone went and played. Um, everything was open in Michigan. For example, Frazier started opening up secretly. We would go in there a few times a week. But every, when everything was shut down, I mean, every other state was open except us in Illinois because they just didn't take COVID as seriously as we did. And there was no point of us taking that seriously. So we did. We wasted time. But we have to move forward from that. Yeah, of course. I think that you need to take COVID seriously, especially everything that you were dealing with. Now, let me ask you this. As, as things progress and more and more people get vaccinated, how do you think that's going to change or how do you think that's going to impact uh, hockey going forward, especially at the youth level? Yeah. I mean, I think the more people get vac vaccinated, the more it's going to uh, start coming back to normal. For example, like we started the year, we could only have two fans a uh, player. Now it, it went up to four. So I think the more COVID vaccinations we get, the more uh, players and uh, parents we could get into the, um, into the stadium and, Hopefully they drop the mask law where we have to wear masks on the ice. But I think that while the COVID vaccination comes through, everything's going to start easing up a little more. So you just said stadium. I think you mean rink. You guys aren't at that that part where you're playing in in so-called stadiums, like in junior or college. But now I also got to ask, how, how did they find out 
that oh like johnny johnny has three three people watching him where you have two like who's keeping track of who's keeping track of those numbers you know some rinks like taylor for example we were in the i mean most rinks didn't keep track they just said two players but nobody cared taylor you had to give give a sheet right before you enter the tournament and they bake you so when you come up you have to tell them your name and who you're watching so what people did was they sneak in through the back doors of Taylor, and that's how more and more people got in. That's why states were packed. And I was thinking, why is it packed? Then I check out two two back doors are open the whole time. Nobody knows about it except the people that are entering. So it didn't really matter at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a classic. That's a classic move. Just sneaking in the back door. I mean, people do that everywhere. Even even I know my coach uh, watched his kid plays at Merrimack College in D one, and he did the same thing. He snuck through the back door at their rink and was watching his college, his son's college game. But I just don't think that it's really possible or even the right thing, especially to, to keep track of it. It's not like, it's not like yeah, it's going to be a sold out crowd or so like, it's not like you're giving away tickets. There's tickets to the game and then people come in. It's like, Oh, I got to scan the tickets. So I just don't think that works that way logistically that they're going to actually keep track of it. So it makes sense. Like you're saying that these people don't really care. Yeah, they don't. I mean, I don't think why they – I don't understand the reason why they keep track. It, it makes no sense. Like, it just – it makes zero sense to me. Like, dude, you have a mask on. You wear your mask, you'll be totally fine. If you don't feel safe, don't come to the game. If you feel fine, then come to the game. But if you don't feel safe, just don't come. You don't have to make it a problem for everybody else. No, for sure. I think that's kind of the stage that America is at with COVID-19 is if you don't feel safe going places – well, you know what? It's great. You have the freedom. You don't have to go. I think that's the great thing is that no one is forcing you to leave your house if you don't feel safe. If you don't feel safe, please like stay home. It's for your yeah. best interest. That's that's the thing something we've learned. We got to be we got to keep everyone's best interest like in mind. And I just think that, yeah, you don't need to be causing problems for everybody else. And on that note, what how do you think Nationals is going to go with the whole like people? Uh, how many number of people per person and all that because I know that nationals they have like passes that you need to get in yeah well for nationals it all depends on what state you're in like for example us our age group and I think all the boys are in uh Dallas we played in Dallas this year uh maybe what two three months ago nobody cared I mean half the people don't even wear a mask and nobody cares the thing is that it's just with a different state so for nationals, I think everything's going to be open. Uh, as many people as they want can enter. Because, like, for example, a scout is just going to come and say, I'm scouting, right? And the scout's going to come in, not for a certain player. He just needs to go in. So they're going to say, yeah, okay, it's fine. I think that they're going to ease up on it and uh, let whoever wants to come in watch their states or national. Yeah, for sure. I Yeah, in Texas, obviously Texas did make waves not – they, they basically made waves by dropping the mask mandate. Now say what you want about it. it you can have, you can think what you, what you want, but yeah, Texas is one of those States that they've done it forever where they just kind of are separate from, they're separate from everyone else. They don't really care. So I can't really say I'm surprised that not that half the people wear masks and half don't. Yeah. I mean, I, most people, like they just, they, everyone eased up on it after we, after it, it came out that like this COVID thing, yeah, it affects a lot of older people, but it doesn't affect the young ones that are healthy. I mean, everyone just started dropping the mask, except in Michigan here. Everyone in Michigan is still going nuts about it, and I disagree with it. 
I think what Texas did is an amazing thing. Okay. Now, what about, would you agree with Florida then? I mean, Florida really never has, they never had, and I, I, people might slander me for this, but it's almost like Russia where they just didn't really care. They just, just kind of went about their business. No masks. Oh, really. Yeah, no. In Florida, I mean, it's nothing, it's nothing there. I, we were there for vacation. I mean, the masks don't even exist there. I mean, in the hotel, I would, I don't think I wore a mask one time. I mean, in, in restaurants once in a while, you have to throw it on, but nobody really cares about it anymore. They used to, but they realize that it's not as bad as everyone says it is. So they eased up on it. Yeah, for sure. Now also going back to still going back to youth hockey, how do you think COVID has changed and affected the tryout process or even at least in Michigan, I know with AAA that there's a lot of movement of players per team. So how do you think that's affected it? Um, like, well, what do you mean by that? Okay, so obviously in Michigan, it's no secret that if a player plays for Honey Baked, then next year he might be playing for CompuWare or they'll, 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 they switch clubs. How, how has COVID kind of affected the, the changing of, cult of clubs by players and whatnot? Well, I mean, I don't think it really affected the change because players are going in and out. Um, we're getting a kid from Boston, a kid from Pittsburgh. They – they, they come to play for the best team that they can find. They don't really care about COVID at this point. I mean, ev everyone wants to have the chance to be amazing. And Michigan is one of the states where hockey is really popular, has really good teams. I mean, every year there's a, there's a top 10 team at least, every single year. So whoever can make it to a team here will come here. For example, CompuWare, they – they took, they took a kid from Japan last year. That kid was, like, really good. He said he needs an opportunity to show himself, so he came here to play. So, I mean, I don't think COVID really affects how players come here and play, but at the end of the day, they want to be shown. They want to be seen. They want to get better, and they want to make it to the next level. So, yeah. No, of course. I think, uh, I think that makes sense. Obviously, Michigan has a very prestigious – triple a system and i think that does attract a lot of talent from out of the country out of the state and i think i think all that competition is very healthy going forward yeah i mean it is i mean the the higher the competition the better the competition the better you get you skate with older guys you're gonna get better obviously that's what happened with me i skated with older guys in the summer i mean i skated for two three months with you and everyone else they it made me better because it's it shows me how the game is played at a higher level. So it makes you better when you play with kids your own age. No, exactly. Uh, you know, hitting the gym, hit the gym more than twice a week also helps, but that, that's a whole nother issue. We're not going to talk about that. Hey, I've changed. I've changed since then, PK. <laughs> hey, that's good. I mean, change, change is change is key. Absolutely. And yeah, that's you know, skating with older guys and training with older guys. They push you. You got to, you got to be able to keep up with them. And that's how it's going to be. Obviously when you, when you play like U15 or play U16, there's going to be guys older than you. And if you're able to dominate and you're able to play well against older players, then, then that's a great indication against your own kids, your own age. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, the harder they push you, the better you get. It's a known fact. The harder you work, the better you're going to get. Yeah. You have to have something naturally gifted to you, but that's like a fourth of how you get great. The great, the thing is you have to work hard and that's how you're going to get great. Of course. Now final, so final question before we wrap up, how many, how many end to end goals can we expect from Nicholas Eliza Rob this year? 
How many goals can we expect? No, 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 not not just goals. Like not just goals. I, I want to ask you such a basic question, like how many goals? I, I I'm gonna ask how many end to end goals because you are known for scoring some some goals, kind of all of Bobby or just taking it from coast to coast. Yeah, I mean, I think if I build up my speed a little more, we could expect around five to ten. Okay, five to ten is a good number. Well, I think if you want to build up your speed, you're going to have to run faster than a four, eight, eight, 40 yard dash. But <laughs> that's beside the point. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, we're going to build it up. We're going to get to a lower number, four or five. Yeah, progress is progress. So, Nick, thank, thank you for coming on. Will, I'll have you on. I'll have you on down the road, obviously, to check in throughout the, throughout the summer and throughout the fall on the current state of youth hockey. Thanks for coming on, uh, Youth Hockey Insider, Nicholas Elizarov. All right, yeah, thank you, PK. I appreciate it. Of course. That's all, that's all for this week, everybody, on PK's Place. Stay, stay authentic, stay driven, and let's get after it.